Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I am your host, Mike White. Joining me is the rookie, Chris Dashew. I believe on this episode, I am going to get a promotion, though. To coincide with Paul Jehovah's getting a promotion, finally, four seasons in. I figured you were more like a Levitt, you know, because you're about no. the same height no, and everything. No, nope, nope, nope. And you know that's not true. You're, I think you're thinking of our dear friend, Mr. Richard Haddam. He's like six. Is he tiny? He's like five foot seven, I think. I think when I told him I was six foot tall, and I think you're taller than me, right? No, nah, I'm six foot. Maybe I'm like 5'11", then. Six foot, 5'11", depending on the shoes I'm wearing. But Richard is a, is a shorter man. So maybe he's like Levitt. That's why he was going on a limb for Levitt. Oh, okay. He'd probably yeah. defend Tom Cruise and Sylvester Stallone, too. I mean, I like Tom Cruise, though, as an actor, not as a person. Is Sylvester Stallone super short? Yeah, he always wears what they call Spanish heels. Wait, wait how tall is Sylvester Stallone? I want to know now because I've never heard this. I've heard this about Tom Cruise, obviously, plenty, the whole standing on an apple box thing. Or the actress standing in a hole, right? Five foot ten. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, sure. Dolph Lundgren, six five. I was about to say, it's like John Cena. John Cena's not like John Cena and you and I are almost like the same height, but like Hulk Hogan is like six foot seven. <laughs> like he's like a fucking he's like a fucking monster of a human being. Yeah, no, not Levitt. Please, God, no, don't make that comparison again, Mike. On this episode, we are talking about three episodes of the original Barney Miller show, starting off with Corporation, directed by the one and only Hal Linden. With a teleplay by Lee Grant, Tony Sheehan, and Danny Arnold. Burial, directed by Danny Arnold, that came out October 13th, 1977, with a script by Michael Rusnow. And Copycat, directed by Jeremiah Morris, with a screen story by Doug Wyman and Tony Sheehan. And that came out October 27th, 1977. We missed a week in there, and... Maybe there was a Halloween episode, because I don't think this copycat episode counts as a Halloween episode. No, but you didn't mention on the burial episode the, the best unbilled actor of the show's history, Abe Vigoda. An unbilled series regular <laughs> returns. I was okay with that. It is as strange as I think we both thought it was going to be, at least the way that they open on it. But Corporation's okay, right? Yeah, I enjoyed Corporation. We've got a kind of a slimy attorney, one of 57 attorneys from a uh, toilet paper company who picks up Wojo's baseball. And he's got this whole dream that he wanted to be a baseball player, but he became a lawyer instead. Well, at least he's not a Klansman, given the actor's name being David Dukes. So <laughs> I I liked him in this role. I mean, it's it's a it's a fun character to put into the precinct. I mean, at this point, we're almost halfway through the show's run. So I'm kind of wondering what was the leading motivation in the writer's room at this point in the fourth season. And I feel like at this point, they're just like, let's see what kind of crazy ass characters we can get through the door. I mean, it's kind of it, it. There are parts of this show that remind me of Night Court because it's like, let's just see the crazy shit that we can get in here because we're not going to be seeing them outside of here. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see that. We never see outside the precinct anymore at all, like ever. 
Well, I kind of wonder where this corporation is because they're talking about the building because this guy, Alvin Traeger, the hawk, is doing a dirty crossword puzzle on the windows. And I'm like, okay, I didn't think that they had corporations down here in the 12th precinct, but I guess they do. It's this weird Skynet conglomerate company where it's like, we make everything but dish towels. Everything except shoes. If it is that, I mean, it is kind of as innocuously like McKesson, right? I have a friend that works for McKesson. They make everything from guidance systems to fentanyl, folks. That's the, I mean, and they have 57 lawyers. You know, that's what this character, I don't know. I like the premise of the episode. I'm not sure I like the execution so much because a nameless corporation is only, it's only a fun joke for a couple jokes. And then it's just, if this is the A plot, we're in trouble is kind of the way I looked at it. I kind of saw this as being more of an environmental message, especially because if it's a paper company, they just, oh my God, they ruin the environment with all the stuff that they do to make paper. But yeah, it didn't end up being that environmentally heavy when uh, the hawk is there with the vial of chemicals that he's threatening to take. I was like, oh, okay, that could be really serious. But no, it was just a a stunt. It was just uh, red dye number five in there. Yeah, that aspect of the episode with the hawk felt uh, underbaked. Felt like a good idea. And then they just like, oh, we don't really know where to go with this. What's actually really sad is the B-plot is much more interesting and much more emotionally engaging in a lot of respects with Wojohowicz and the homeless woman stand-in for his mother, I guess, because Wojohowicz apparently has a lot of guilt, unbeknownst to us, the audience. She wasn't allowed to talk very much in this role. I really like her. She's been in a lot of stuff, but my favorite is her role at the beginning of Stripes. She's the woman that Bill Murray is driving around in his cab when he's like, oh, I shouldn't have taken all that cough medicine. (laughs) Never seen Stripes. Does that make you sad? A little, a little. It's a very uneven movie, but I really like that one. I will be honest with you. I have not seen much of Bill Murray's oeuvre outside, or is Bill Murray's filmography outside of the stuff he's been in that's been Wes Anderson stuff and Ghostbusters and also Garfield. I mean, you know, yeah. well, of course, Lorenzo music. <laughs> oh, but of course, his as work in Garfield, the tale of two kitty. So I, I'm not familiar with a lot of Bill Murray stuff, especially stuff like Stripes. I mean, I, I know about it, but I've never seen it. I really like a lot of his early stuff, though. I will say don't get fooled by meatballs because he's all over the poster and the video box for that. Like you see video boxes these days all the time, but he's barely in the movie. The like monsters and mazes or whatever that Tom Hanks movie. I remember seeing them advertising. It's a Tom Hanks movie. It's like, no, no, it's not. He just happens to be in it. I'm trying to remember if he's in that more than he is in Caddyshack, but it it feels like it's pretty much the same thing. He's such a small part of Caddyshack. As far as I'm concerned, Caddyshacks, like the thing that a lot of people who have never seen Caddyshack or haven't seen it in a long time forget is none of the cool characters are the ones you follow. And that makes the movie work. The movie wouldn't work otherwise because those characters are too much on there. If, if you had just had that movie be about those characters... It would just be like everybody too much on screen at once. No, Bill Murray's in that movie for like, what, seven minutes? Probably. 
No, I haven't seen a lot of Bill Murray stuff, so I'd never seen Stripes. She's good in this, though. I mean, Fran Ryan's good in this. It's it's weird. Why they spent all that time on the corporation story is so strange to me because the story with Wojciechowicz is just much more interesting. I think it's much more mo- – it's a much more mi- – you can mine more from it. I also like the whole idea of – her not talking to Wojo, but then all of the other people's interactions with her, like how uh, I think it's uh, Yamana's like, oh, yeah, she talks. She talks to these pigeons. I see her all the time. And so Wojo's like very confused. Or my favorite, of course, is Dietrich when he's talking about have, how you have to have a subtle psychological approach to get through to homeless people like this. And then he just comes up and it's like, hey, lady. You know, uh, they have a lot doing a lot of studies on these kinds of people, and they have a very specialized form of interaction. Okay, Dietrich, he's so good, right? He's just stealing the show at this point. Yeah, and it's nice because they're not giving us too much. They're just kind of holding them back, you know? And I'm like, all right, that's good. He's, I think a little too much Dietrich would overpower the show, but he's great in this ensemble cast it honestly feels kind of like a pointed response to what ended up happening with Vagoda. Again, we're, I'm going off of information given to us by Otto Bruno, whose book either is out or will be out. I'm assuming when we know, you'll know, unless we know in between episodes when you won't know until you hear our show. That's the value of our Facebook group. It's true. I think the way they treat Landsberg in the show, at least right now, and maybe it'll change, is not allowing it to get Abe Vigoda levels out of hand. I mean, there were whole like fish-centric episodes. And look what happened. I mean, he's not on the show anymore. And from what Otto said, sounded like Abe Vigoda got a big head about himself, too. Maybe they're trying to prevent that, which would make sense. It is an ensemble show. And even though it's named after Bernie Miller... He's not front and center every single episode. Like, he's great in this kind of counselor role for Wojo. I mean, it really feels like everybody in here has something to do. Maybe not Yamana having a ton at this time, but he still gets stuff, and there's still even a coffee joke in here. You know, with the show being titled Barney Miller, he isn't the main character of the show. It should have a different title because the show doesn't follow him exclusively. There's plenty of times where he is in his office and we don't know what he's doing and we're watching the people in the precinct. So he's not the main character of the show. The show just happens to be named after him. I mean, you realize very quickly into watching the show that if it were just a Hal Linden show, the format of the show would be much different. And they tried it. And they tried it in that first season with Barbara Barry and he would go home and he was more of the focus. And look what happened. It, it wasn't what people, it wasn't what the audience wanted, or maybe go even further. It may not have been something that the writers cared about because he's not the main character of the show. I think at this point it's abundantly clear. He is the moral center of the show, but the storylines don't run through him at all. They haven't for probably what a season, at least the whole show, everybody comes to them, you know, or they will bring in people. So it's not like, with Lanier, the corporation guy, the lawyer, he comes to them and then they have to go out and then get the hawk and then bring him in. I mean, Wojo does bring in the homeless lady, 
but it's yeah it's like all depending on who they have with them when they come through the door it's not just about them coming through the door and that is the limitation of this show and the limitation of the show is showing i mean that's you know, I mentioned kind of at the top of this episode, I was like, at this point, I feel like they're just trying to see what kind of crazy people they can get through the door and interact with the precinct. And, you know, we circled back around to this point. And I think at this point, the show's cards are on the table at this point. I don't see the show changing much more at this point than it it already has. We are halfway through the show. We know Levitt and Dietrich are here through the end of the show. So this is kind of the cast as it is going to be from here on out. So the show has found a groove. And if this is the groove that the show has kind of set itself into, I'm okay with it. There is a level of restrictiveness that this format creates, which is like what you said, they have to come through the door with people or someone has to come to them, but people can only come to the police with very narrow. I mean, it's a pretty broad, but it's still a narrow box. I mean, Barney in one of these episodes even says, don't do anything about people suing you. That's a civil matter. We're the cops. Like that's the premise of this show is they're cops. And I just don't know how much more outside of the precinct we're ever going to see at this point, because the last time we were outside of the precinct felt like season two. Yeah. I think that might've been the stakeout episode where they did that or the hotel. The one with Wojo and Wentworth, right? Really, when you think of it, there was the the hotel one. There was going to Chano's house. I think that was the end of season one. There was the stakeout at the apartment where they were looking outside at stuff. And getting interrupted all the time. Yeah. And then there was the trip to Fish's house or his apartment. And there have been trips to Barney's apartment once or twice. But it's been a long time. I want to say that that trip to Barney's apartment is literally season one. I think it is. Season one episode. I don't even remember how many episodes, but it isn't like the first five episodes, I think. Because you meet Barney's daughter. Remember that? Where it's like, and this is my daughter. Never see her. Well, and she was getting married to the assistant district attorney or something. I've actually started watching TV shows again. And I've been watching, again, what a lot of people consider to be the greatest show of all time, The Sopranos. I've been listening to some books about the show as well, because we've been working with people now who criticize and talk about TV shows as for a living, like Otto, and listening to books I never would have thought about listening to, like critiques and criticisms and talking to the creators of the show. One of the things they talk about in this book is something that the writers of The Sopranos wanted to avoid that this show does all the time. And it is such an interesting contrast. While writing The Sopranos, they wanted to avoid introducing characters that only showed up in one episode and everyone acted like we're a big deal. Q, Cole Shack did it. This show does it. You know, the good old Mike joke. It's very interesting because now I genuinely feel like we're in a groove with this show. It took four seasons, but I think we're kind of, I think we're in a groove and I think the show itself is in a groove. I think it's with the next one and the one after that, this whole idea of Harris looking for a new place to live actually carries over from one episode to the next, which is very unusual for this show. And technically fish carries over too in burial because he wasn't in the last episode. They didn't talk about it. So it technically could have taken place at any point when he wasn't on the show, but neither here nor there. Fish is back with Burial, and it was very surprising. And I have to say, Abe Vigoda 
looked genuinely happy to be back. And I don't know if that was just him as an actor or if that was his character, but he felt lighter. You know, it, it didn't feel like the old fish that he wasn't as grumpy and he just seemed very excited to be there, which was kind of unusual for that character. This is not Sunday's catch fish. It's not, I mean, it's not, I mean, he was so bad at the end of his run with this show going into the you know, last episodes we talked about. They were not good. We were ready for him to be gone. And now it's like, where was this? Where was all this? Did you leave this in season two? Cause it's kind of what it felt like. There was a point where Fish's character lost. It wasn't an edge per se, but he lost his appeal. And there's this appeal back with the character. I mean, he's back in kind of his mumbling, grumbling asshole self, not relying on jokes about his wife. He still wants to be a good cop, which I think is one of the admirable things about his character that is always there. It's always been there this whole time. He wants to be a good cop. I don't think he goes to the bathroom once in this episode. No, it's weird. He's almost not fish, right? You could call him a different character, and I'd be like, oh, okay, it's Abe Vigoda playing a different character. Again, back to my comment about you know introducing characters that we're all supposed to care about and we've never seen before. You're right. It, it It's weird because they don't really make mention of the fact that he's fish other than when he shows up. And they're like, you don't have to do any of this. But I don't think he would be allowed to do any of the things that he's doing anymore, right? Because he's not a fucking cop. It's The issue is, honestly, if you want me to like speculate, this episode feels like they're all just fucking hallucinating that Fish is there. It makes no sense why he's there doing what he's doing when he's not a cop. He's not a cop. You can't do any of the things that you're doing if you're not a cop, dude. Though I did like how he's the one that can finally connect with Mr. Wittenauer. So the whole premise of the episode is that this guy, Julius Wittenauer, has kidnapped, well, corpse-napped, taking the body of his former roommate and were you getting like that they were maybe more than roommates when they were talking about it? I get gay vibes from this show all the time because in the first five episodes of this show, they had a reoccurring gay character. So I feel like there's some, I think I say like under the radar homosexuality in this show, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the members of the precinct was gay. Well, I think Otto said that we will get that coming up, right? Or at least it'll be a recurring gay cop character. Right. But I was speaking more to like one of the precincts, like, like Luga. The show is always kind of trafficked in that weird. There's like a weird homoeroticism to this show. And yeah, Luger makes such pains to talk about his love life that it's like, okay, what are you covering up, buddy? Yeah, like closet. I get don't it, believe that waitress over at the auto map on. I took a home body and I was like, I just wanted to treat you to a nice dinner. I didn't want anything else. Like, okay, pal. Was I reading into it? I don't think so. I don't think it's reading into it with this episode. It seemed like there was a little. You know, That's what I was getting. Why does he care so much? It felt more than what you would do for a friend. Like these two dudes live together because their wives both died. I was glad to see Jack Christian as that role of Mr. Wittenauer. And when we start talking about Columbo, he is going to show up again. So we will 
talk about him there, where he uh, sports a Russian accent. So just be aware of that. He's a great face, though, right? He is. He's got a great face. And then Cy Kramer as Nelson Hubbard, the funeral director. I mean, it is funny, man. People just treat him so different because he's a funeral director and he's just like, what? Everybody needs this job. You know, why are you so against me? And I could be against Cy Kramer just because he is so manic in that role. And I really liked what he was doing with it. He's intentionally abrasive in a very good way. I was half expecting him to address the do morticians eat sandwiches when they do autopsies thing. We had two morticians on an episode of Scary Stories, and we talked about that, like, do you actually eat a sandwich when you're doing it? And it's like, that's like, no, that's a movie thing. But like, I love how they're like, I eat just like you. I play golf just like you. I'm not some sort of ghoul that came out of the crypt. Like, what the fuck? I, I like that. Because again, that, you know, Cy Kramer's ability to deliver those lines he has such an exasperated nature to him that you believe it. You believe that this dude is just like, this is the millionth time he's heard this thing that that person thinks is the first time he's ever heard it. He's just like, oh, fucking leave me alone. Why don't you? And of course, Wojo's just like petrified of the guy. It's like, okay, Wojo, thanks. You know who I was missing in all three of these episodes? Where is James Gregory? Where is James Gregory in any of this? I know, I know. He's now that he's got a credit, I expect to see him show up every single time. Ron Carey, on the other hand, I'm okay with, but James Gregory, please show up. Yeah, it was I was expecting him to, to come in and get one barb or something or you know, acknowledge Fish's existence. No. It's I was surprised because at like you said, at this point he is a regular, so he's he's getting paid for this either way. I was listening, like I said, listening to these books, and I didn't know what made you a series regular until this weekend. And now I know, and now I know why you want to be a series regular so badly. Is it all about the do re mi? If you're a series, at least now, if you're considered a series regular, you get paid whether or not you're on the episode. So Barbara Berry was cleaning up then? When she was being billed, yeah. Just think of anybody on like Game of Thrones or something. I mean, it's the same thing where you're like, oh my God, like you're in one scene of this episode. <laughs> like you're getting paid full salary. My God. Yeah. It's uh, look, the, they're Levitt and Luger, you know, Ron Carey and James Gregory were getting paid anyways. So I just would like to see Luger. Like, where? Give me some of that. The third episode, Copycat. We have the return of a few regular uh, guest stars here, though, playing different people. Don Kalfa showing up and John Dulligan uh, showing up as well. And I was so happy when Don Kalfa shows up as the copycat, the titular copycat, who seems to be taking all of his best ideas from either cop shows or TV movies of the week type of thing. And I love how Yaman is using the TV guide to help solve the crime. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about this is the fact that you have Don Kalfa in another episode, just screaming his head off oh, the, entire, so <laughs> the entire time. Oh my God. Just seeing like a young skinny Don Kalfa is it never gets as I only thing I know him from is return of the living dead where he's like obviously a much older man. Ernie. He's Ernie, so good. Ernie, the secret Nazi. Apparently. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard about that or not. I knew about it. And I guess I must've seen that version of the movie where he's got like the, 
what he's got like a nazi dagger i think or he has like a he you know he he has um in the main version of the movie he has like a mauser that's like his gun that he has yeah i want to say it was in the documentary the more brains documentary they talk about how it was like not necessarily supposed to be something that the audience was supposed to pick up on but that was the backstory for the character He's awesome. I love him as an actor. He's great in this. He is so good. I mostly know him from Running Scared, the one with uh, Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal. He shows up. um, He's trying to find... I can't remember what Billy Crystal's character's name is, but he's trying to find him and Crystal thinks that he's going to serve him for a divorce or something. And then he's the one that actually talks about how his aunt died and left him all this money. So that's why they get to go to Miami and we play Michael McDonald and it's the best scene in the movie. Gotcha. Okay. Don Kalfas is what? Second time on the show. Yeah. Last time was group home, which was just recent. We just talked about that. And John Belligan as well has been on three, two other times. This is his third time on the show. He doesn't have a lot to do in this one. And then he comes back and plays the same character. He ends up playing the same character at one point too, much later in the show's run. Yeah, he was in Happy New Year and Moonlighting before this. And um, yeah, here he is as Harold Durrell, the drunk who, I'm trying to remember what his crime was. He didn't have a gun? Isn't that what it was? He held people up and he didn't have a gun. Right, he used his finger like a gun. Yeah, and they they were like, okay, Mr. fucking finger gun man, like you need to, you smell like alcohol. He played a decent drunk, and I did like how his sponsor from AA shows up and that he's a total drip. He gets to tell the guy off because uh, he's dr- you know the, because he's drunk. Yeah, and this is the episode where Wojo becomes a sergeant, and then he's just complaining the entire time. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, I'm a sergeant now. That doesn't mean anything. It's a title conferred upon you by others. That means absolutely nothing. So. Yes, exactly. Gets to find out the hard way. <laughs> I thought things were going to be different. That's your problem, man. <laughs> Not ours. It's a decent episode, and I like the A and B plot a lot. But I would have thought they would have done more with Wojo's sergeant thing. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to come up more as we move forward. Yeah, I wonder as well, because it was just kind of like, oh, when he passed, okay. But I will tell you, Landisberg gets like the best just final note in this episode right that's the name of that too that's pretty meta it's pretty meta for the time i mean in 77 i don't know if other people were quoting i don't know if tv shows were referencing one another but that's a it's a beretta reference right oh i thought it was uh name that tune the tv show imdb said that's what beretta says and i looked it up that's what beretta says in his really show. okay yeah that's why it was so like weird because like i i thought it was like the, the game show thing and no no it's well, that was the thing when they were talking about other TV detectives. I was waiting for them to start to bring up other detectives like, oh, this happened on Kojak or this happened in Columbo or, you know, we, we could sit here for a half an hour and name off TV detectives from the 1970s. But I did not know that because, I, frankly, I other than the incredible theme song, I think I've only seen maybe one episode of Beretta because I want to say that Timothy Carey was in an episode. So, of course, I had to track it down and watch it. Only thing I've ever seen Robert Blake in is his 
is the role that I guess other than Beretta he's known for is the thing from Lost Call Highway. Your, Call your house. I love Lost Highway. It has its problems, but man, Robert Blake in that movie is just Shevsky is so good. He is the perfect version of that character that David Lynch has been trying to do his entire career, and I don't think anyone does it better than that weird fucking Apple Marshall Applewhite looking Robert Blake. Call your house. I'm in your house. <laughs> Let's laugh. I do like the inspired by the headlines or the movies nature of this episode. It's kind of fun. I was trying to figure out what they were referencing. Even when it came to the suction cups, I was like, well, is that a Superman reference? No, that didn't come out yet. Some fake movie on the TV. Just for clarity, Timothy Carey was in four episodes of Beretta. So I'm surprised I haven't seen all four. Maybe I just couldn't track him down. Man, and and I I will tell you for like for whatever reason since the start of the fourth season, does it seem like Max Gale as Wojohowicz is a different character? He seems strange all of a sudden, doesn't he? Again, he feels a little lighter. He feels a little smarter, maybe. He as a character has had his stupidity reined in by the writers, not by the character, by the writers, because all of a sudden he's acting very not Wojohowicz. Where's the emotional, like, all of a sudden he's worried about how he's coming off emotionally with a bag lady. I mean, and he hasn't mentioned, like, the Marines in forever. I mean, I guess the funeral director, he was a little afraid of him, but, you know, normally it's like Wojo's afraid of his own shadow just because he doesn't understand how the world works. He also is a man who wears his emotions on his sleeve, so you know exactly what he's getting at anytime he's talking he's a very expressive character and all of a sudden he's just not doing the wojo of these three episodes and my assumption moving forward wouldn't jump out at barney in a kung fu outfit he wears his emotions on his sleeve and he wears an incredible handcuffed tie pin on his very wide tie i'm glad you saw that as well it was hard to miss. I was like, that's pretty awesome. Wojo's into some kinky shit, bro. Because the only people that are accepting of that being on your tie pin are the people that you're around. Everybody else would be very concerned. <laughs> I mean, I didn't see if he's got a hanky in his back pocket or anything. I Whatever change Max Gale gave the performance is perfectly fine. Because his character needs to kind of move in a different direction. Because he needs to stop being the butt of the jokes. Because he kind of has, he kind of has been as a character. Like, oh, look at that stupid non-hip dressed asshole over there. That's been half of Ron Harris's jokes at Wojohowicz. Have been look at that, you know, look at that asshole who doesn't know how to dress, who's not hip. And it's like maybe we can move past that and mine something else. Because the first two seasons were like, hey, he's got a weird last name. Yeah, we haven't had a last name joke or a Polish joke in a while. And season three was like, he's just an out-of-touch, dressing idiot. I'm tired of you making fun of the way that I dress. Yeah, you know. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about me until you got to the dress part. Uh, yeah. Off the rack, baby. So, I mean, the fourth season, maybe he stops being the butt of the jokes. But the third season had those, like, Wojo's uh, uneducated idiot jokes. And if if we're past that, awesome. Because there's there's a lot of comedy to mine here. Maybe that's what this sergeant exam signals, is that he's now moved on a little bit. 
It seems like it, because again, he's not the butt of the jokes in any of these episodes. These episodes really have been driven by the people coming into the precinct. And I don't know if that's going to continue, but like being the focus, but it is the focus three episodes in a row when that hasn't always been the case in the past. Maybe that's the new focus moving forward. I would be okay with it because explore Landisburg a little bit. I mean, explore Ron Carey's character a little bit, explore James Gregory's character, but I have a pretty good sense now of the main characters of the precinct, at least the ones that we've been seeing for the last three seasons. When you said explore Landisburg, I thought it was a place. Welcome to beautiful Landisburg. Explore Landisburg. It's an interesting kind of shift that the show has taken because the first three episodes of the season didn't really let us know that there may, there was going to be a change, but it feels like there's been a little bit of a tonal shift all of a sudden. Well, I'm excited for our next episode. Me too. No fish in sight for episodes. Well, until then, Chris, what have you been up to, sir? Uh, over at culturecast.com, you can find us talking about movies once a week. That's what I'm up to. And uh, cstashu.com is my link tree which has this show and that show and all the other shows that I work on, some with you, some with Father Malone, some with neither one of you. And who those people are, you'll have to go to cstashy.com and find out. What about you, Mike? Where can people find the internet's best movie podcast, The Projection Booth? Oh, I thought you meant somebody else. <laughs> the internet's best movie podcast, How Did This Get Made? Well, you can find it at howdidthisgetmade.com. You can find it being deleted off of my iPhone every time it shows up. You can always find me over at the projection booth, which is available at projectionboothpodcast.com. See, so, yeah, I think we're uh, going to be talking about just kind of a wide variety, a little bit of a grab bag before we start to get into some theme months in 2022 here. So, yeah, look for some uh, months about Russian film. Uh, there's some adult film stuff coming up soon. And then we'll get into a regular, you know, September, November, October, all that kind of stuff as the year goes on. I think we might even have uh, another Sci-Fi July happening. As always, I want to thank John Walker for our theme song, and I want to thank all of y'all for listening to us. And I would love it if you could go on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from, even on Spotify now. Apparently, you can just hit like the little thumbs up arrow or five stars or something. That always helps people know that uh, that you love us because we love you. <laughs> 